Hello everyone, I'd like to welcome you to the Redemption 10 B podcast where we believe that all of life is all for Jesus. My name is Warren Williams and today I'm joined by ministry intern AC. Yes sir. Yeah, yeah. And also pastoral resident John Crawford. What's up? So um, if you've been following along um, with us, we're just moving right along in the New Testament and the True Story Project. And for today's episode, we'll be talking about the book of Luke. All right, so we've done Matthew, we've done John, and now we're doing Luke. So, um, you know, I'm excited to jump right in. Um, we're going to start with just a reading of a passage in Luke um, to just help us. Uh, I guess this will be like the main crux of what we're going to be discussing today. And, uh, man, we have a good episode planned out. So you guys ready? Yes, sir. All right. I'm going to be reading Luke 14, uh, 7 through 14, if you want to follow along. And it goes, Now he told a parable to those who were invited. When he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, Give your place to this person. And then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. He said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. So, uh, you know, if you're kind of listening along there, Jesus is definitely saying a lot there, right? You know, um, he, he's really challenging us and just really challenging our worldview where, you know, a lot of times where we do seemingly good things, right? We want something in return, but Jesus is challenging us to, uh, you know, love sacrificially. So um, we're, that's going to be, um, you know, a part of Luke and a part of what we just discussed today in regards to Luke. But before we get into that, you know, we always have a good icebreaker plan, right? So for today's icebreaker, just to kind of uh, uh, get you guys thinking and uh, put a nice little fun twist on things. Um, AC, let's, let me pose this question to you first. So you're putting together a team for a three-on-three basketball tournament. You can only draft people in the New Testament. So, uh, you know, you can't go up there and say Moses and... You know, anyone, anyone, or Samson. I know you. I know you were dying to choose him. He's a strong guy. Could definitely body anyone out of the paint. But uh, no, we're talking about people in the New Testament, um, and you can't draft Jesus because that's like a cheat code, man. <laughs> that's like that's like you know you use NBA when you when we used to play NBA Jam and you use like Jordan or something, man. Like you know you can't yeah. you can't you can't use him. Actually, He's on fire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't use Jesus. All right. So who would be on your team, AC? Dylon, Dylon, and Dylon. Oh, of course. If I couldn't draft Dylon, yeah, though, I would get, I would get Peter and John, first okay. of all, okay, because they're Galilean fishermen, so you know they got the strength, the stamina. John, scholars believe, was younger; he might have been like a teenager okay. at that time. So you got the youth and athleticism. I mean, you got Peter; he's bold and brash. He might, he might be the Russell Westbrook on the squad. Gotcha. You know, gotcha. and then the other person I would get is the Roman centurion. Mm. Because he understood authority. That's what blew Jesus' mind away. And so he would have known his role on the team. He's not going to be, you know, competing, calling people a ball hog, things like that. 
you know. And then on the side, I'd get Luke as a trainer because he's a physician. <laughs> and I was there thinking about this. Like, for the coach, I feel like Barnabas would be a player's coach. Oh, yeah. You know, he's son yeah, of encouragement. You know, encouragement. that whole thing that happened with yeah. Paul and Barnabas when they split right. over John Mark. Because right. John Mark didn't complete the journey the first yeah. time. Yeah. Paul was so, kind of harsh. Paul was kind of Paul was like Pat yeah. Riley. I feel like. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know? he, cut so, him. he was ready to cut him real quick. Yeah. So he might be a really good coach, too. So I was torn, but I'm gonna go with Barnabas because he's a players coach. Okay. Okay. That's so, good. So, so you, so you had Peter, John, and the Roman center. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Let's see, John. Who do you have, man? I hope you don't uh, repeat any of these, but let's see. Let's see who you who you have for your three on three tournament. Man, I'm glad you guys posed this question because basketball is the one sport that I uh, passionately enjoy. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, and I'm yeah. glad this isn't a football question. John's a baller. I'm, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm B-baller. Yeah. So uh, here's who I've got. Okay. I've got Stephen from the Book of Acts. Okay. Uh, specifically, as, as we know, he was the first martyr, uh, so he's willing He's willing to die. Oh, yeah. Um, but uh, not only that, his <laughs> boldness. His boldness. He's got. He's got the boldness, and you need. You need a player with boldness. Okay. Confront some folks. Take. Take it. You know. Okay. Okay. Um. But then I'm gonna mix it up, and I'm going with the woman, with the 12 year discharge that we see. Okay. I really want to hear your explanation for this one, John. So, thinking in terms of loyalty. Okay. We we need this on a team. Loyalty. Okay. She was essentially ostracized from community for 12 years right due to purification yeah. laws and rituals yeah all of that uh-huh. and once she was healed of her 12-year discharge she was restored to community and i can only imagine someone that's been on the outskirts and an outsider and completely excluded from community after 12 years being brought in and the restoration okay. the kind of loyalty she would have to the team being okay. grafted into a team. Mm. Um, then I'm going with Onesimus from the book wow. of Philemon. Wow. Okay. Onesimus specifically because he experienced reconci- rec- reconciliation okay. And, okay. and received grace. And so if he received grace, he's going to most likely extend it. And so okay. we've got the boldness. We need some grace in there and we need some loyalty. Okay. And then on top of that, I'm going with the Apostle Paul for my coach because Paul's the one that vouched for Onesimus in Philemon. And mm-hmm. so you're going to have even more loyalty there. Okay. Wow. Oof. Man, you know, John, I like your answers. I don't know if they'll make that good of a basketball team, but, you know, I, I, I like your reasoning. <laughs> hey, all right, man. <laughs> so all right. my, my, my pick, my picks, my picks would be the Sons of Thunder, James and John. And Those guys, Ravis. yeah, they already have. <laughs> they already have the chemistry. They have the uh, 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 the passion that would take to uh, dominate on the court. And also Simon, Cyrene, right? This guy's strong. He's physically strong. He helped Jesus when you know oh, the cross yeah. was falling. And uh, you know he has a, a, a maybe a passionate mindset and to help his that, that would be used to help his uh, teammates as well. So those are my picks for mostly physical reasons. But I hear you guys, man. I love what you're bringing. Would, I love what you're bringing. Would, would he set a screen on the woman though, with the with the flow of blood? Like, listen. <laughs> hey, yeah, you you guys gotta go. 
I got you know? I got the hey, first WNBA player. Jesus is the ref, man. Jesus is gonna call it right. <laughs> <laughs> He's not gonna let nobody do nobody. Man, dirty you know what? Maybe we'll in, in heaven one day. Hopefully, we can see this play out. You know. Um, yeah. So uh, you know, we've been discussing the true story of the world. You know, we've uh, been through the Old Testament. Now we're hearing the New. And you know, um, you know, we believe that Scripture and the Bible tells the true story of the world. It's not just a book of uh, you know good sayings or uh, you know good ways to live. It explains. Uh, the world that was um, and the world so the world to come and the world that we're presently in so AC can you kind of tell us as far as the book of Luke where does it fit into the true story of the world I think Luke gives us a, a good key to interpret it um, in chapter 24 he records the two disciples on the road to Emmaus and they're tripping out because Jesus is dead Jesus comes up on them incognito and uh and and he's like, what's wrong? And he's like, would you live under a rock? Like this, we thought this man was the Messiah, and he's been killed. And he says, oh foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And then going on later in the in the same chapter, he does the same thing with the disciples later, and he breaks down how the whole Bible points towards Jesus. And so where does Luke fit into the true story? Luke is writing about the the birth, life, ministry, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus, and that these events are the climax of where the Old Testament has been going. Genesis started with the creation of the world. It was all good until sin entered the picture. Then God calls Abraham, tells Abraham, through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. In other words, like paradise has been lost, but paradise will be regained for all of creation. And he sets, God sets off on this mission to save the world. He chooses Israel as his partners in this mission. And what we see in the Old Testament, and which frustrates a lot of us as we're reading and confuses us, Israel utterly fails in that mission. Time and time, yeah. Yeah, and so at yeah. the end of the Old Testament, you're like, well, what's going to happen? And that's where Jesus steps in as the true Israel, the true Israelite, right at the right time uh, to to save the world. And so that's what that's where Luke fits into the story. Very good, man. And I'm glad you were able to overcome the uh, distraction of my phone <laughs> going off. Hey, man, you know, uh, uh, it, it happens. Uh, but yeah, I, I love the way that you kind of just place us within um, the right context, you know, and kind of just giving us a framework to work from from here, right? And understanding Luke as we, you know, dive right into it. So, you know, we've talked about, like I said earlier, we've talked about Matthew, we've talked about John, and um, a lot of times, you know, I think sometimes we have the tendency to read through the Gospels and not n like necessarily notice all the little nuances between each one, right? The things that the authors were trying to to do with each one, right? So, John, yeah. can you kind of just tell us like what is unique about Luke in comparison to some of the other? to the other gospels yeah um there's there's a lot that's unique um but one of one of the things that stands out about the gospel of luke more than uh the other three gospels is that luke highlights the social dimensions of the gospel more than any other gospel writer yeah and so you're seeing many many of these social dimensions play out uh luke highlights those um and even i was just doing something as i was reading through luke on my own uh something that it's kind of kind of interesting to do that, that maybe you would want to do as you're reading through Luke as well. But um, just from broad strokes on a surface reading, not even digging into any of the cultural context or anything, I started circling and making notes of 
throughout the Gospel of Luke, the social dimensions that he's highlighting. And wow. I, I counted uh, 42. Uh, wow. And these are big social dimensions, not even really delving into um, understanding the culture at that time. But 42, which which says a lot um, for, you know, that that's multiple times in each chapter. And so, you know, Luke in uh, Luke 4, 18 through 19, Luke talks about uh, that Jesus, Jesus' ministry is good news to the poor. And uh, Luke highlights stories throughout the entire gospel, stories of good news to the poor and the marginalized. Specifically, he highlights Jesus' interactions with people through table fellowship and also healing. And these things communicate the presence of salvation for marginalized people in society at that time. Yeah. Um, So one thing that's also present within Luke is there's a lot of prayer going on. Mm-hmm. Um, AC, can you kind of touch on that? Like the prayer that we see in Luke? Yeah, Luke records Jesus praying way more than any other gospel Interesting. writer. He, he shows Jesus praying at every major point in the story. And it doesn't stop there. I mean, we all know that Luke and Acts are volume one, volume two of the same set. And Acts, before every significant point, there's prayer as well. Right. You think of like when yeah. Paul goes to the Gentiles, Acts 13, what are they doing right before that? They're praying. Yeah. Right before Pentecost and everything that goes down there, they're praying. So Luke is very meticulous in showing that before these major events happen, prayer happens. And so there's this phrase that we repeat around the church all the time, the kingdom comes as the spirit moves in response to prayer. Luke highlights that. Oh yeah, that's my that's my one of my favorite quotes, man. I love love that. Yeah, yeah, that's that's really good. And um, you know, one thing I've or one way I've kind of heard Luke describe is we see Jesus bringing um, or sh- showing that he's restoration in the for our physical right infirmities yeah. and also for the in the spiritual sense mm-hmm. too. And I think that's important to understand because a lot of times I think uh, we may have the tendency to just put things in spiritual terms but as you see it as as john discussed you know jesus is speaking to the various social dimensions he's uh you know uh uh, speaking or showing concern for the poor and the marginalized so um you know it shows the gospel's uh uh reach it's not just in the spiritual it's physical as well so um ac can you kind of just walk us through also some helpful reading strategies for navigating through luke yeah i think one of the biggest things is to um we got to get unfamiliar with the gospels because mm. a lot yeah. of times we're so familiar because if you've been going to church since you were a yeah. kid a lot of these are sunday school stories oh yeah you know and so when true. you yeah jesus so true, heals man. somebody yeah. and jesus does yeah. this and seems yeah. so mundane yeah, yeah. and yeah. so but these are miracles yeah they're miracles they're miracles yeah. Yeah. you know yeah, yeah. and we yeah. kind of uh we kind of just read through them real quick and so i think there are three things I want to highlight that I want us to become unfamiliar with and see hmm. with new eyes. Yeah. One is miracles. Um, a lot of times we see these just as like, uh, well, Jesus is proving that he's God. And there's an element to that, that Jesus is showing that he's Israel's God in the flesh. Uh, but more than that, they're signs. They're yeah. signs yeah. of the new creation. Right. And so when Jesus rose somebody from the dead, he's showing, hey, there's no death in the new creation. Right. When Jesus stilled the sea, he's saying there's not going to be tsunamis, hurricanes, and forest fires right. in the kingdom, no yeah. natural disasters. Yeah. Um, parables is another thing, too. Hey, AC, can I just stop you one second? I just, yeah. I just on the miracles point, is something that, you know, I, I really find uh, something we kind of don't understand. I think sometimes when we see Jesus or think of Jesus doing miracles, a lot of people think of like a superhero maybe. Yeah. You know, like he's like, mm. you know, uh, uh, 
you know, whatever the miracle is, he, you know, it's like some superhero power. I see it also in addition to what you're saying is like a foretaste of the restoration, but also his showing his sovereignty over, you know, everything, yes. water, land, sickness, yeah. whatever yeah. it is. That's so, um, yeah, I just, I just wanted to kind of think, and talk through that a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that brings to mind, uh, we were talking about an RC not too long ago yeah. when, uh, Jesus walks on the water yeah. and Peter walks with him and we were like, What's up with that? Like, what does that show about the the, the kingdom? Uh. And I was thinking, well, here Jesus is showing that he's sovereign right. over all of creation. Yeah. But then even Peter is invited into that in the same way that, like, God created the world, but then invited Adam, Adam yeah. to have dominion Man. over creation. Yeah, that's good. But, and that's work. That's our job, our employment. We're exercising dominion over creation. And work sucks a lot right, of times. Right. But mm. in the kingdom... It's gonna be like walking on water. Beautiful, beautiful. That's phenomenal. Uh, uh, I, I, sorry to cut you off there. I know you were gonna get started about uh, parables. Yeah, parables. Yeah. Um, parables. We we try we we, we treat them like uh, Aesop's fables sometimes. Yeah. Like yeah. there's this hidden moral <laughs> behind the story, but the parables are there. Jesus, what he's doing is he's trying to correct the views that the people had of the kingdom that were mistaken. And that's where a lot of the tension lies between Jesus and the religious establishment. They expected the kingdom to come in a certain way. Jesus came in a different way, and he uses the parables to show how the kingdom truly is coming. And then another thing, too, is when Jesus gives his teachings, here is the biggest thing, is that a lot of times we look at these teachings as like ethical principles to live by. Hmm. In fact, that has infected so much that yeah. like people who don't even believe in Jesus as the Son of God will put him in the category of like Muhammad, Buddha, yeah, they're all these like yeah. great religious teachers. Yeah. But that's not what Jesus was doing. Right. Jesus was not giving like principles to live by to make the world a better place. Jesus was bringing the new creation into existence. And when he gives these ethical teachings, he's saying, this is what it's going to look like when you live in the kingdom. Right. So start living it out now. It's, yeah. It's so much deeper than you know, bumper stickers. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, and I think that sometimes, uh, you know, that's easily lost. So I'm glad, I'm really glad you were kind of just able to break through those three, break down those three. So, uh, John, do you have some more just strategies that we can use as we read through Luke? Yeah, I think there's, there's a few, uh, few other just kind of helpful things to know. Mm-hmm. Um, one, as as simple and basic as it is, is that uh, pay attention to the details. Luke is uh, very detailed, and don't overlook those details. Okay. Um, in the beginning of the book, in uh, chapter 1, verse 3, it says that it's an orderly account, and there's many unique things in the Gospel of Luke that aren't actually recorded in the other Gospels. Mm. Um, you know, for instance, the road to Emmaus after Jesus' resurrection. Right, right. Um, things like this that we don't want to miss. And so not to not to gloss over those details. Um, another thing that, uh, that is important is uh, to ask the question, what does this produce? What is, mm. What does the Gospel of Luke produce? Or what does this part of the story produce? And really, um, Luke's narrative is actually an invitation to embrace an alternative worldview and to live as if the reign of God is already revolutionized this age. Wow. And so yeah. it's not just it's not just it's hey what yeah. produced this story, it's actually what is this story producing or what should it produce? And really it's an invitation for us to embrace this alternative worldview that Jesus is giving. I love that. I love that. Uh so John, can you kind of also just 
you know, w- w- one method or the method that we use to, uh, uh, I guess, go through scripture and read and understand scripture is the squid method. So one um, thing that I think we wrestle with is how the original audience would have understood. Um, let's talk specifically about Luke 14. Um, you know, the, the passage that I read at the beginning, how would the original audience would have understood that? Yeah, that's, that's such a good question. There's so much uh, cultural context that's wrapped up in this to help us unpack it. And so the first thing I think that's most important is that we need to understand the importance of meals. Um, obviously, this is a parable about a banquet. And so we need to understand the importance of meals, specifically in the ancient Mediterranean uh, culture. Um, and meals, the importance of meals were really that they advertised and reinforced one's social status mm. within the culture. Hmm. And so really what's going on, it's not just a meal that they're eating together. This is something that's advertising and reinforcing social status. Once again, we've already said that Luke is really pressing into and, and highlighting the, the social dimensions of the gospel. Yeah. And so we, we start to see this unfold here in, in, these, in this parable that Jesus is telling. Um, Another thing that's really important that we need to understand is who are the poor? Because hmm. this passage is talking about the poor. Yeah. So who are the Let's poor? Let's that a little bit. Yeah, the poor. When it, you know, when, when it talks about the poor, who are we talking about? Yeah. Is so the physically poor is it? Yeah. In the in the Mediterranean culture, in the ancient Mediterranean world, the the poor was not so much just about economics. Huh. A lot of times we think poor just dealing with people's you lack know paychecks and lack yeah, of resource. Yeah. Um, but really. Uh, poor in that context depended much more on education, gender, family, religious purity, and one's vocation as well. Wow. Um, economics did play a part, but it was that was only one small sliver mm. of, of the pie, if you want to say. And so not only is it essentially the poor were those of low status that were excluded from social norms, um, but that's in the Mediterranean culture. And then you add Jesus's definition on top of it. Mm. And Jesus actually addressed the poor much more holistically okay. as anyone from, for a number of reasons, who were outside the boundaries of God's people. So excluded from God's people. And right. so these people are who Jesus is identifying as poor. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, some of the people that, you know, uh, when Jesus's birth was announced that, you know, they were, they were told first, right? You know, the shepherds, the you know, anyone that's basically outside of the community, right? Yeah. So, um, AC, I just kind of want to speak through the uh, the resurrection a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. So, some people say the resurrection was proof that the crucifixion worked. But, like, what is the real significance of the resurrection? There's a lot there. One thing I will say is that uh, uh, I believe what Paul says about, about it is that it's the first fruit of the new creation. Okay. So... Uh, the idea of first fruit was, you know, you farm, you 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 harvest your crops, and then the very first produce that came was like the sign of what was to come. Like right. if it was good, you're like, oh, we're about yeah, to have we a have good a, season. Yeah, good season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, it, it, oh, yeah. It, I kind of think of it like when I start a job, but I start in the middle of a pay period, and I get that first little check. Yeah, <laughs> <I'm> like <laughs> it's about to be one, good. Yes, the next one's gonna be good. Like it's coming. Uh, I think that's what Jesus' resurrection is showing. Right. The, it's, it's the first fruit because it's the new body, new creation. Right. Um, I, I kind of think of like Captain America. Now, Marvel uh, fans are going to are gonna hate me for this, 
because <clears throat> I don't I don't know the stories that well. So if I, I can help this, you along a little, yeah, bit. Right, yeah, yeah, cool. okay, yeah. But I because I just watched it the other day. Okay, uh, okay. the first Captain America. Okay, I think it was the first one. Yeah, but it's where they had the blue stuff and it made him big. They made him big. Yeah, yeah. yeah so he was a little scrawny dude. Yeah, yeah and then <laughs> <laughs> Tommy Lee Jones gets really mad because uh, like I guess like a Nazi spy came and infiltrated and and and. Uh, messed up the whole experiment mm-hmm. so and i guess they were trying to make a whole army of captain america right. and he was like i was right. supposed to get a whole army i just got this one dude so captain america was like the first fruit like he was he was what the whole army was supposed yeah, to super look soldier like. yeah. yeah super yeah. soldier mm-hmm. so jesus comes in sort of like the super soldier in the sense of like being perfect and right. holy right and he comes in showing and, and his resurrected body showing what what we're all going to be like In regards to resurrection, there's a really good quote by uh, Dr. Mike Goheen that many of us have been mentored by and influenced by um, in seminary. Um, He has a quote about the resurrection that says, uh, he says this, Resurrection was not an isolated event standing alone as a miracle to prove the truth of the Christian faith. Rather, the resurrection stands along with the cross at the center of world history, giving its meaning and direction. And I think in regards to resurrection, a lot of times we do just say that it was kind of like, you know, the the nail in the coffin. This this proved the the truth of Christianity. This proved that Jesus was truly God, um, which all of yeah. those are true. Yeah, those right? are true, right. Um, but there's so much more, right? We're talking about the kingdom, the kingdom of God. And all through Luke, you're, you're going to see the, you know, and, and already as AC talked about, um, you know, the, these pictures of the kingdom and, and Jesus' miracles and, and in his teaching, everything is giving a picture and a preview of the kingdom. And so really what happens in the resurrection is that it's the beginning of the new creation. Jesus actually inaugurates the age to come or the new creation. And so the old age is has been done away with and the old age was characterized by by the power of satan sin evil and death and so we know that that age is done away with it's still present but now the new age has been ushered in because of the resurrection and the new age is characterized by the power of the renewing work of the spirit and so you know if you've been around redemption you've probably heard the term already not yet but that's the time that we're living in right this tension of yes the powers of satan sin evil and death have been broken but the presence still remains and so we live obviously in a world that still has the presence of these things but the new creation is also here and so we live in this overlap of the kingdom of god is already here but it's not yet fully realized and it will be fully realized one day And John, I would just like you to just continue on that um, and discuss some implications from Luke. I think you started, but just kind of speak some more on, um, you know, some implications specifically from Luke 14 or actually from Luke as a whole. Yeah, I think think there's uh, a a lot of implications, um, but one for friendship. If we're going to break these down into various domains of life, if we're going to say, what are the implications for friendship? I think we pose it in the form of a question. Luke 14 is all about a all about a banquet, um, and who is invited to the banquet? And we see in that parable that Jesus is actually talking to the Pharisees, the religious leaders, and he's telling them essentially, "Hey, at the resurrection of the righteous or of the just, um, this." is the type of people that will be there. Mm -hmm. And then he gives this parable about this host of a banquet who is essentially inviting the poor, Hmm. the marginalized, and those people in that time would never have accepted an invite 
because they couldn't reciprocate. And so they would have automatically been forced to decline an invitation because wow. they couldn't reciprocate. They couldn't wow. And so they would have been embarrassed, there would yeah. have been shame, and also, a normal host, due to the social norms, would have never even invited a poor person right. because it would have looked bad on them. And so what we see here is you see this host that Jesus is illustrating as someone that will inherit the kingdom of God. Right. And he is inviting the poor and to his banquet and compelling them and even tells his servants, bring them to, to my banquet and compel them because right. these people, due to shame and, and social norms, yeah. would have never come already. Right. Right. And so my question for an implication for us to wrestle with is, who is eating at our banquet? Oof. You know, who, yeah. who is sitting at our table? Who yeah. are we feasting with? Um, and, and does it line up with what Jesus is showing as a picture of those that will inherit the kingdom? Yeah, I think that's, uh, I love it. To, I love to just bring it back to, you know, us in our context too. And I think that's a, a, a really a call to discomfort, right? Yeah. You know, the things that we hold on to is comfort, you know, having people at our table that we can relate to, you know, quote unquote, because of their, you know, similar status or whatever it may be, traits or characteristics that are like us and that, you know, we feel comfortable inviting to our table. But clearly we see Jesus is calling us to something different here. Hmm. Yeah. So, um, you know, I just kind of want to close off by just, again, bringing it within our context. um, And I'll pose this to AC John. Feel free to jump in. Um, If the city of Tempe was being shaped by Luke, what would look different? I think uh, Mike Goheen has a a pretty cool quote about what a community would look like Hmm. shaped by Luke. Yeah, yeah, Um, yeah. A community of generosity and a world of acquisitiveness now i've never used that word before acquisitiveness. that's gohi's word not mine i might have but to i think go- yeah. it means to like that's a phd word yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when you get a phd you can make up words yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i think i get the red squiggly line. <laughs> <laughs> um a community of inclusivity in a world of sharp division and racial tension yeah a community of prayer in a secular world yeah a community concerned for the poor in an unjust global world a community of justice and mercy in a world of burning need, mm-hmm. and a community that lives under the lordship of Christ in all of life in a dualistic world that separates religion from public life. Truly in contrast. A contrast community. Contrast. Yeah. Con- do you look different? Yeah. Do, do we look, look different? different? Yeah. yeah. And then talking about like friendship and mm. who you invited mm. to your table, you know, what does what what does your contact list look like in your phone? Man. Yeah, is it yeah. all people that look just like you and yeah. talk just like you and and live just like or, you? Or, or people that you can gain something from? Oh, right? yeah, yeah. Worth, yeah. yeah. It's about yeah. getting. because yeah. going back to the banquet thing, sometimes people would invite like someone a little bit higher status, right. In hopes that it would get reciprocated, and right. so now they move up the social yeah. ladder. Exactly. You know, yeah. we do the same thing. It's just not. A, yeah. It's just different culturally. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So, yeah. who who are you friends with, and why? Yeah. yeah. Inviting, and it's, I'm just thinking of something simple, like inviting someone to dinner, and maybe you pay the bill. You know they can't pay. Yeah. You know yeah. they'll never get you back. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and and it, it requires sacrifice. It really requires sacrifice. And it's really what Jesus is calling us um, as individually and as a community. So, um, you know, as we think on Luke, you know, let's just keep that question in mind. Who is at our table? AC, John, thank you for joining us today. Yeah, it's been good. Yep. Thank you guys for listening. We'll see you next time.